It was August 13th, 2017, and I had been the pastor of this church for just a few months when the Charlottesville riots broke out and racial unrest and the conversation of race came full front to the American public. Uh, I had moved from Cincinnati to the south and was not quite sure what I was stepping into, but with a little fear in my heart, I stepped into this space here. Uh, I was turned the other way, and there were people there uh, back in those days. I don't know if you remember those days. Uh, but I walked with my Bible, I turned, and I began to preach on Acts chapter 10, and I taught my first sermon in the south and at Grace Marietta on race. Uh, I talked about 1 Corinthians 12, 26, which says, if one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. And I, I, I found my notes from that message this week as I went back into my computer and into the database of former sermons. And I said this, I want you to know that here at Grace Marietta, you will never suffer alone. You will not be unheard and to our black brothers and sisters, we are sorry for the times when the church should have spoken when it did not. We are sorry for the times when we should have listened and we did not. We are sorry for the times when we should have stood with you and we did not. And we're sorry for the times when we should have been advocating for you and we did not. And from this moment forward, we commit to be listeners and advocates. We will fight together, we will bleed together, and we will stand together there is no way forward if we don't listen and advocate. And if we stay silent on racism, we will be living in direct disobedience to God and we will be failing our brothers and sisters of color. I was a little fired up that day. I was excited. I felt pretty good about it. Uh, I went home and to say that that sermon was not received well would be the greatest understatement that I've ever preached in this pulpit. Uh, what happened in the coming days was it started with a few emails. Uh, five families left the church immediately uh, and let me know their displeasure of me. Uh, it was, I, I've never been called a liberal in my life until that day, and uh, since then I've been called it quite a few times, but uh, was called a liberal over and over again, uh, called all kinds of names. Uh, there were terrible things that were said about me and my multi-race family. Uh, a week later, the threats started on Facebook and over email. Um, what was going to happen to my family if I didn't leave the church and go back up north? Uh, and eventually someone said, I'm going to blow up the church. Uh, we lost some people in that season. Uh, I learned a lot, and I prepared for a fight. Uh, since then, I have preached about racism consistently from this pulpit. Um, since then, we have talked about this issue over and over and over again. Um, Jeremiah 1, verse 17, was brought to me in the middle of this season by a friend who gave me a prophetic word, and it says this, it says, Get yourself ready. Stand up to them and say whatever I command to you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. For today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. 
So I know the strongholds that exist in our community. I, I know the battle that awaits us. I know that these discussions are difficult and hard. And I know that certain people are triggered every time we talk about race. But my opinions have not changed from August uh, 2017. My, my, my thoughts on the church that we're becoming have not shifted. My belief that racism is wrong and it grieves the heart of the Father has not shifted and has not changed. And it would be absolutely tone deaf for us today, this week, for us to not talk about race. For us, as our city is engulfed in controversy and, and, and riots and protesting and, and, and police brutality and all of these different things happening in our our community for us to not pay attention. I believe that this is a cultural moment. I believe it's a cultural moment for the church, and I believe particularly that it's a cultural moment for the white church. And here's what I'm convinced of because it's been happening in my home. Our children are watching what we do in this cultural moment. My family, each family, has folklore or stories that they tell about their family and, and, and how their family was formed and how their family was created and what their family did on certain issues. And, and part of the folklore of, of my family, part of the stories of the past of my family is the story of my grandpa. Um, my grandpa's name was Bud Taylor. Everybody called him Ralph. Uh, he, he, he was... Uh, an incredibly loving and kind man. He ran his own small business his whole life. He was incredibly successful. He, he started from nothing and built uh, a really successful small business. Um, he was kind and he was loving and he cared for everybody. And in the midst of the civil rights movement in the 60s, uh, in Dayton, Ohio, which is where I'm from, uh, some churches started to gather together, um, and, and, and what happened as churches started to gather together in unity, they excluded all the black churches. And so all the white churches in the community started to gather together, and all the white churches started to talk about unity, but my grandfather was grieved that the black churches were not invited to this. He was grieved that all the white churches were talking about unity without actually displaying unity. And so my grandfather started an organization called the Dayton Area Witness, which was a, a, an organization that brought the white church and the black church together to begin to talk and to begin to pursue real unity. And as my family tells the story of how our family responded to the civil rights movement, there is never a moment where the story of grandpa creating the Dayton Area Witness community together is not told. Because my mom remembers what side of the civil rights movement her father was on. And I don't want my children years from now to look back on these moments and say their daddy did not fight, did not advocate, did not listen, did not learn, did not stand with his brothers and sisters of color. We won't be silent and we won't be on the wrong side of this. I've had the most amazing conversation with my kids about race this week. And I want them to know that no matter the obstacles we face, no matter the challenges that come against us, no matter the emails we get or the frustrated people we have or the triggered white people that call me, we're going to keep talking about this. 
because it grieves the heart of the Father. And my goal as a pastor is never to be a politician and to do what makes everybody feel good or to say things that make everybody happy. My goal is to teach the Word of God diligently and to talk about what grieves the heart of the Father and to lead us all to spiritual maturity. And so next week we're going to start a series on the book of Jeremiah. And today I want to zero in a little bit on the history of Jeremiah and what the prophet Jeremiah is doing. I I was reading this work this week uh, about the book of Jeremiah and it said this, "If, if interpreting the Bible is like flying on an airplane, then Jeremiah is the pilot that told everybody to get on board and fasten in because it is difficult. Jeremiah is called to this prophetic ministry in a really difficult time in the season of God's people. Uh, uh, he, He is declaring warnings over the people of God. He's sharing with them what grieves the heart of God. In in 629 BC, in the reign of King Josiah, uh, Jeremiah is standing up and talking about the temple. He's talking about the desire to root out idolatrous worship. He's talking about the, the ways the community of God and the people of God have started living that is anti to the way that God wants them to live. And he both warns them and calls them to repentance. Uh, The book of Jeremiah, it is said by a writer, exerts a tyrannical force upon faithful readers. It forces us to look into the mirror at ourselves and at our community. What he's doing is he's seeking the heart of his listeners. he's, He's pursuing character. He's talking to them about, we can't say this and live this way. We can't say that we follow God and continue to operate in the systems that we're operating in. We cannot say we want unity, and we cannot say we want these things without pursuing them. We cannot continue to talk without action. And he's calling us to both see and repent. Uh, repentance for us, when we talk about repentance, we talk about repentance is agreeing with God about reality. And repentance is always good news. In the church, oftentimes repentance is talked about as if it's bad news, as if it's something that we shouldn't do or, or shouldn't pursue. But repentance is the best thing that can happen to me because it's me moving from my agenda to God's agenda. It's me aligning with the Father and, 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 and learning to think like Him, learning to have the, the, the mind of heaven, learning to have the heart of Jesus, learning to have the Holy Spirit guide me and lead me into every area of my life. And so repentance is the best thing that can happen to me. And Jeremiah is full of different areas in which he calls the church to repent. But today, I just want to focus on one of them. Wednesday night, we gathered for our first community conversation around race. It was a beautiful night. We had around 55 to 60 people from the church gather. We listened to our minority leaders share their experience and just share how the church can love them it served them in this season. Uh, after that night was over, I, I got multiple phone calls. Uh, I got a, a couple phone calls from some of our minority brothers and sisters who said this, this was the first time in my life where a room of white people stopped and listened to my experience and my hurts. And you cannot know how meaningful that was. So thank everybody at the church for me. I also got calls from some people that said, I'm sorry. And I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be saying I'm sorry to, but you're my pastor, so can I call you and say that I'm sorry that I've been ignoring the pain of my brothers and sisters in Christ? 
Can I say that I'm sorry that I have minimized the hurt that they've been walking through? And can we talk about how I repent and how I grow in the midst of this? And I want you to know that that is the path forward. And in Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah begins to talk about the pain of people in their community. And here's what he says in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. He says, For they have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed admonition? No, they were not ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall, and at the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown. The word of the Lord comes to them and says, listen, here's what you've done. You have healed the wounds of my people lightly. You've pretended as if the wound is smaller than what it is. You've minimized it. You've not listened. You've failed to engage. And you've said, there's peace. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. It's just an isolated event. It's just this tiny one little thing. It's just one bad apple. But at what, at what point do we say the bad apples are taking over everything? We say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's a warning and it's a promise. We don't deal lightly when one part of our body is hurting. We don't minimize this. We don't settle for fake peace. We don't diminish the hurt and the pain that others are experiencing. We name what's wrong and we repent. The way forward for the church is that we mutually submit to one another. This has been a principle that we've taught since, since the moment of Grace Marietta's inception, that the people of God lay down their preferences for one another that we mutually submit to one another, that we lay down what we love for what other people love, that we lift others up, that we listen, that we care, that we pay attention, that we seek the heart of the Father over and over and over again, and we seek the heart of one another. So Wednesday night, our church did this beautiful thing that I don't know that anybody knows was so beautiful. We gathered together, and we listened, and we prayed. And three years after outraging the church because we talked about racism, I didn't get a single negative comment. I didn't get a nasty email. No one threatened me. There were no bomb threats on the church this time. We just simply talked and discussed. And I think we've stayed silent for too long. I think we've not repented from the fact that part of our body is hurting. And, and listen, I, I know that this triggers some people, and I have great compassion for this. And I know that this makes some of you angry, and I know that this frustrates some of you, and I know that there's questions rising up in you that are like, do I need to repent for being white? Are you advocating for white guilt, Ben? And I, I want you to know, say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing all of those things. I, I, I don't want you to send me an email and tell me I'm a liberal. If you know me, I hate both political parties equally. Uh, here's what I am saying. Here's what I know from myself. Here's what I'm repenting over. I'm sorry to my black brothers and sisters that I have not spoken up more. I'm sorry that I have been more concerned with triggering white people than for speaking to you, the oppressed. I'm sorry that I've not listened to your pain. I'm sorry that I've shown a lack of compassion or empathy. I'm sorry that I don't always know the right words to share or the right things to say. I'm sorry for minimizing your pain. 
I'm sorry that the church in America has been complicit in racism either by its silence or by its disobedience since the inception of the church in America. And I'm sorry that we have healed the wound lightly and we have said peace, peace when there is no peace. So to all of the white brothers and sisters in our community and in our congregation, I want to ask you what the weeping prophet and Jeremiah asked the people of God in that moment. I want to ask you to examine your heart and examine your motives. I want to ask you to see the world in a new way. I want you to pray and ask for the, for the eyes of heaven and for the heart of Jesus in this matter. I want you to listen. I want you to learn and I want you to repent. And listen, if this triggers you, I'm really sorry. But I want to encourage you to ask the question, why? If you're just sitting there seething in anger because we're talking about race in the church, I, I want to ask the same question that God asked Cain, which is, why are you angry? Kadeem and I sat down this morning and had a discussion about this, and Kadeem's the one that said, it's the question that God always asks. He asks his brothers and sisters, why are you angry? He asks his children, why are you angry? Why are you doing this? Because one way of anger will lead to death, and the way of repentance will lead to life. And so why are you angry? Why are you triggered by this? Why does this frustrate you? And, and let's examine our heart. Let's take our motives and our motivations to the Father, and let's lay them at his feet and say, Lord, What's going on here? Let's talk about these things. Let's gather with our black brothers and sisters and let's listen to them. Let's pay attention to what they're saying. Let's not deal with the wounds lightly. Let's not say peace, peace when there isn't peace. And to the black brothers and sisters in our community and in our congregation, I, I, I want to say a few things. I want to thank you for sticking with us. We honor you for the fact that you have chosen to be a part of our family and we need you. We need you. We need your love. We need your kindness. We need your patience. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you to know that we don't always know what to say that is right or, or, or how to deal with all of these issues, but we need you guiding and directing us and leading us. We need you to walk with us in love, and we honor the fact that you are a part of our family. Our, our, our goal is not some aspirational goal of talking about racism. This is not something that we get fired up about every time there's a new issue that hits the news. Our goal is long obedience in the same direction. Our goal is for our church to look like heaven. And we are committed to being a racially diverse church. We are committed to mutual submission between everybody in our community. We are committed to lay down our preferences for one another. We're committed to live and to listen humbly. We're committed to repent when we need to repent and to invite God to give us eyes to see the world. I feel like the white church right now has just returned home from a missions trip. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that feeling when you're like a teenager and you go on a missions trip and you, you have your eyes open to, to suffering and to pain and, and to experiences that other people in other parts of the world are having. And suddenly you have this question and, and, and whenever a pastor is leading a missions trip, especially with a bunch of teenagers, and you're bringing them home, the question becomes, what are you going to do now? And, and, and I want us to know as a church, as Grace Marietta, we are not going to be the church that just gets fired up occasionally, that goes to the mountaintop, that grieves a little bit, that engages in a little bit, that prays a little bit. This is a commitment to us, just like the call of Jeremiah. We are going to walk into this. We are not going to be silent about this. There is a call to action right now, not a call to 
post on social media, not a call to go buy a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. We want real action in this, and we're working together to move forward in this. So with the call to action right now is we're going to begin these community conversations on Wednesday night. Our first one was, was this Wednesday, last Wednesday. It was amazing and incredible. We're going to begin reading the book, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby together. Uh, we're, every other week, we're going to gather and we're going to host community conversations. On the off weeks, I want to encourage you with your watch party or with a group of friends or with your house church to gather together and to read the book together and to watch the video series that is on Amazon Prime. And so it's, it's free and it's downloadable on Amazon Prime. And if you don't feel comfortable meeting in a group or don't feel comfortable um, gathering with people right now, you can do all of this in your own home. So in the coming weeks, we're going to have discussions on how do I talk to my kids about race? What does all of this mean, and, and what's the vocabulary of race? How do, I, how do we become a more diverse church? Why does diversity matter to God? And we're bringing in experts from all over the country to spend time with us and to help lead these conversations for our community. And then on the off weeks, we want you to gather in homes and talk about these things. On June 19th, we're going to head downtown to downtown Atlanta, and we're going to gather with the faith community of Atlanta, and we're going to march on the city of Atlanta. Um, we're going to pray, um, we're going to worship, we're going to sing, we're going to listen, and we're going to stand with our brothers and sisters of color in the midst of all of this. And I want to invite you to join us in that. I want to invite you to walk with us in all of those seasons. As we wrap up the service today, uh, Psalms 13 is going to show up on your screen, and I want you just to read it. Uh, maybe read it two or three times and reflect over it. I want you to spend some time lamenting. I want you to spend some time praying, and I want you to reflect either as a group in your watch parties, or I want you to reflect alone on the questions that pop up in your screen. But as we wrap up today, we just want to spend some time in prayer. I want you to pray for our city. I want you to pray for our country. I want you to pray for our police officers. I want you to pray for our black brothers and sisters. And I want you to pray for our church, that we will be a place that is not afraid, that does not back down, and is not ashamed to preach the word of God and to say what is true and what is not. And that we will be a community that stands with our brothers and sisters when they're hurting. We're excited about these conversations. We're excited about how the Spirit of God is moving. I believe revival is coming. I believe change is coming. I believe God is destroying strongholds, and I believe that breakthrough is coming. And so can we pray for that together? We love you guys. We'll see you next week.